Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your love. We just lift up these prayer requests as well as the others. We know that you're a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We pray, Heavenly Father, now as we turn to your word, uh, we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you will um, bless us as we seek to bless you and to worship you uh, through your word. Help us to realize that this time is as much a time of worship as it was when we were singing praises to you. So help us to be attentive to your word and be obedient to it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 15 through the end of the uh, chapter. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit are you now getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you will get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Holy Word. Last week when we were together, last Sunday, we pointed out that there are two very important questions that are raised in Romans chapter 6. That one chapter has two very important questions. The first question that we looked at last time is found in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, just allow me to just kind of rephrase that question just a bit. I think what Paul is saying is since, we are slu- since we've been saved and, have, and are headed to heaven when we die, isn't, o- isn't it okay that we go on sinning? Isn't that all right? And of course, Paul's answer is, By no means. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Paul is thinking this way. How can we who have been joined to Christ in his death, burial, and his resurrection go on living a sinful life? How can we do that? Well, if you do, it's a pretty good indication that you really don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? You know, that's preaching. You know, preachers are going to be saying this, you know. 
Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, I don't know, but, you know, I just kind of think that there's going to be a lot of folks who think that they're going to walk through the pearly gates of heaven when they die, but they're in for a rude awakening. I really believe that. Instead of hearing Jesus say, Welcome to my heaven, He's going to say to them, Depart from me. You know, I have a feeling that when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised by those that we find there, and we're going to be surprised by those that we don't find there. A true born-again Christian is not characterized by a sinful lifestyle. Why? Because through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. We saw that last Sunday in detail. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. Christ has set us free to live a life pleasing to Him. Now, the second question that's raised in verse 15 is this. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Now, this question is, is slightly different from the first question. A different tense is used here to suggest not a lifestyle of sin, but occasional sinning. Just sinning once in a while, you know, when you feel like it. You know, just sinning once in a while, now and then, now and then. You know, the question is, isn't it okay to sin like that? Just now and then? Not, not continually, but just, you know, when you feel like it. Why not go ahead and indulge and, and just enjoy yourself? You're saved. You're not going to hell if you do it because you've been saved by the grace of God. Now, I believe if we're really, I mean, really honest with ourselves, we'd admit that we've all had that feeling from time to time. Why not go ahead and do it? God will forgive me. It's no big deal. Well, Paul says... Yes, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Paul's answer is the very same as the first. By no means, absolutely not. It is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. You know, in our culture today, sin is outright denied. Outright denied. Two men and two women, two men and or a man and a woman can get married and or excuse me, two men and two women can get married and it's, it's absolutely okay. A man and a woman can live together without the bonds of marriage and it's absolutely okay. Premarital sex is absolutely okay. In many of our mainline churches today, sin is minimized or even completely ignored. Let me just tell you something. Every sin outside the church is inside the church. And if you don't believe it, you better get your head out of the sand. Presbyterian ministry just recently was fired just for upholding the biblical view of morality and marriage. That marriage is the union between one man and one woman for life. Now you've heard me say it, and I mean it with all my heart, we must treat all people, regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their beliefs, with respect and love. But we must never compromise on the truth of God's Word. 
And we must never be intimidated, intimidated by our culture. Can you imagine what it would have been like if Paul had been intimidated by his culture? Can you imagine what it would be like today in the church if Paul had compromised on the Word of God? Listen, God hasn't changed His mind about sin, and we better not either. Once President Calvin Coolidge, he's my favorite president. I, I love history, and you know, Calvin Coolidge is better known as Quiet Cal, a man of few words. Now, one day he came home from church, and you know, his wife asked him, well, what did the pastor preach on? Well, he replied with few words, as he always did, sin. And a little frustrated, his wife said, well, what did he say about sin? He said he's against it. <laughs> well, that's what Paul was saying. He is saying that, that uh, he's against sin in the Christian life. He's talking about sin in the Christian life, and he's against it, and so is God. Now, in this great passage, and I just love this passage, Paul gives us three reasons why we must not give in to sin even slightly. Even now and then, even occasionally, why we must not give in to sin. And the first reason is because sin will make you a slave. It will enslave you. It will, it will enslave you. That's what he says in verses 16 through 19. Let's just read these verses once again so we'll get the, 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 the message. He says in verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? And then he says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient to the, to, from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are now committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness, or slaves of God, same thing. I am speaking in terms, in human terms, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, the institution of slavery was a big part of life in the Roman world. It is estimated that over 40% of the entire population of the Roman Empire were slaves in the first century. Just imagine that. More than 40% of the entire population of, of, of the Roman Empire were slaves. So Paul knew a lot about slavery. He knew a lot about the slave-master relationship. So it's only natural for him to use that analogy in his, sermon, in his writings, and he often did. So here Paul uses the analogy of the slave-master relationship to make his point about the danger of sin in the Christian life. And here's Paul's point. He says, as long as a slave belongs to his master, he must obey him. We know that's true. But if he's sold to another, he is no longer responsible to obey his old master, but his new master. And of course, this is exactly what happened to us when we trusted Jesus Christ as our, our Savior. We have been redeemed by a new master. We have been bought 
by a new master, Jesus Christ, and he paid his precious blood to, to redeem us, to buy us, and his name is Jesus. I'm telling you, there's not a sweeter name than Jesus. I love the Gaither song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, that's who he is. He's our new master. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Don't you see, my friend, what sin was our master? It controlled us. We had to obey it. Sin said, jump. And we said, how far? Don't see, sin was that cruel taskmaster. But now we have a loving new master, and his name is Jesus. And we no longer have to obey sin any more than a slave had to obey his old master. Do you get that? We no longer have to obey sin any more than a slave had to obey his old master. And see, it's really up to us who we, who we will obey, who we will serve. It's our choice. Pastor um, Ray Stedman he tells about walking down the street in Los Angeles, California. And he sees this man wearing one of those sandwich signs on his shoulders. And as he got closer, the front of the sign read, I'm a slave for Christ. And then as he passed by, on the back of the sign was the question, Whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? You know, that's a good question. It's a good question because everybody is a slave to someone or to something. Either you're a slave of God or you're a slave to sin. And the question is, which is it? Something is in control of your life and my life. I mean, that's true of everybody. Now, as a Christian, as we've seen, we've been set free from the slavery of sin. That happened the moment we were saved. At that moment, remember we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that takes place after salvation. It takes place at the very moment of salvation. At that very moment, we were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We were united to Christ in His death, buried in His resurrection. Before we were saved, we had sin as our master. We had no choice. We had to obey sin. But now we have a choice. Now we have the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Not to sin, but to please God. To please Jesus. So the question is, what happens when we sin as a Christian? What happens... When we sin as a Christians, those of us who have been set free from the bondage of sin. Well, when we sin, we're making a deliberate choice. A deliberate choice. We're choosing to go back to that old master sin and allowing ourselves to be once again enslaved to sin, even though we have been set free from its power. Well, see, when we choose to sin as a Christian, we're really saying, I kind of like my old master. He wasn't that bad. You know, I kind of miss him. He was a lot of fun. You know, I, th I think I'll hang out with him a little today for a while. 
Well, see, that's what we are saying when we choose to sin. Now, the question is, why would we ever make that choice? Why would we ever choose that? Why would we ever want to choose to sin? Well, we choose to sin really because of two things. Number one, because we have that sin nature. And I like to think of the sin nature as that gravity of evil that is within us. And, and it wants to pull us towards sin. And uh, it will be with us until we die or until we are raptured. We all have that sin nature. We don't have to obey it, but we have it. And secondly, even though we have been set free from the power of sin, God doesn't force us to obey Him. He doesn't. He didn't make us robots. He didn't. He made us in His image. We're image bearers of God. And because of that, He has given us the freedom to choose to obey Him or not. See, God wants us to obey Him, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we love Him. And we're so grateful for what He has done for us on the cross of Christ. You know, every single day in our lives as Christians, we come to a fork in the road. In fact, we come to many forks in the road. And you and I are, are faced with decisions. Am I going to obey God or not? Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey sin? We have to choose at that very moment. We must choose who's going to be our master at that very moment. We must choose whether we're going to obey God or we're going to obey sin. Now, we all come to that fork in the road. What is that fork in the road before you now? What is that fork in the road that you're facing right now? You know, we feel that struggle within. And it is a struggle. We're going to get into that, Romans chapter 7. That struggle between the old nature and the new nature. You know, sin and Christ. We, we feel that struggle within us. God is saying, obey me. And of course, sin is hollering out, serve me. Who will you obey? Robert Frost, in his poem, The Road Not Taken, wrote these words. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the road less traveled by. And that's made all the difference. You know, I believe there's a lot of sermons in those words. To me, Taking the road less traveled is obeying God. Even when it's not popular. Even when the crowd's going the other way. Even when it's not convenient. Well, see, if you travel that road, God's road, the road less traveled, it will make all the difference in your life. It really will. But Paul says there's a second reason we must not give in to sin, even occasionally, even now and then. And that is, sin will make you ashamed. 
See, sin is shameful. It really is. And, and that's what he says in verses 20 and 21. He says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Talking about the past life. The sins you were involved in before you came to know Jesus. For the end of those things is death. See, we can all look back at things in our past life of which we are ashamed. You know, there's something about sin that leaves an indelible stain in our memory that uh, is not easily erased. It isn't. Yes, if you're a believer, God has forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future. They're all under the cross. I I love all of the the phraseology that the Bible uses of forgiveness. He has blotted them out like a thick cloud. He has put them behind his back. He has cast them into the depths of the sea. I'll say they're all under the cross. The guilt, the penalty of sin is gone, but the memory of those sins is still there. Although God remembers our sins no more, we do. See, sin brings shame. All of those sinful deeds we wish we would have never done, all those hurtful words we wish we'd have never spoken, all those broken relationships we wish we would have never allowed to happen, oh, how we wish we could just rip them out of our memory page by page. But we can't. Why? Sin brings shame. So why in the world would we ever want to return to our sinful past, the sins of our old life, of which we are now ashamed? Why would we want to do that? Warren Wiersbe, in his little commentary, tells about a friend of his who had, who had a very sinful past. And he said to him one day, he says, I want to be as good a saint as I was a sinner. I want to be as good a saint as I was a sinner. That's, that's a good goal for life. It really is. But so often we're haunted by our sinful past, past sins. Listen, if, if you're still haunted by the sins of your past, here's something that I think that will really help you. Turn those painful memories into praise to God. Yeah. If you're still haunted by sins of your past, then turn those painful memories that, that are still with you into praise to God. In other words, every time the memory of some past sin comes to your mind and it gets you down and it defeats you and it depresses you, use that as an opportunity to praise God for His grace and His forgiveness. Praise God that He sent Jesus to die and to pay for those sins. See, God's grace is still greater than all our sin. All our sin. But there's a third reason. As Christians, we must not give in to sin even now and then. And that is because sin has consequences. Not only that it will slave you, enslave you, not, but also sin has consequences. Look with me at, 
at verses 21, the last part of verse 21 and 23 says, For the end of those things is death. Talking about slavery to sin. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two lifestyles are described here. Slavery to sin that leads to death and slavery to God that leads to life. Now, Paul says slavery to sin brings death. What is death? The Bible speaks of three kinds of death. Physical death, we all are very much aware of that. A loved one dies and we grieve. Physical death is the separation of the body from the soul of man. Then there's spiritual death, which is being in a state of uh, alienation with God, being separated from God, and then eternal death, which is being separated God from all eternity in a horrible place called hell. But, you know, I also believe that Paul is talking about death in a, in a symbolic way, in the sense of a broken life, a broken life. Isn't that what sin brings, brokenness? A broken life, and there's so much brokenness in our world today, a lot of it. Lives are broken by alcohol, drugs, lust, materialism, anxiety, fear, and you know, I could just go on and on and on and on, so could you. That's what sin brings, brokenness. Broken lives, broken marriages, broken homes, broken churches. Well, see, sin is never neutral. It's never neutral. It has consequences. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. He says, do not be deceived. And see, don't fool yourself. Don't get yourself to believe something that's not true. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you sow seeds of sin, there's a harvest. All of our farmers know that. You plant the seed, you wait to the spring for the harvest. And Paul is using that analogy to save you. Sow seeds of sin, you will reap a harvest of corruption. Hosea says, if you, if you sow to the wind, you will reap a whirlwind. All means the same thing. You know, don't kid yourself. Sin is fun. We saw that last time. It is. If it wasn't fun, we would not want to do it. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin. But, but the momentary pleasure in sin is costly. And that's what Paul wants us to see here. You know, I've seen men and women during my 39 years of ministry just tossed to the wind a happy home, a good reputation, a successful ministry just for a few moments of sinful pleasure. I've seen it over and over again, and it makes me sick. There are consequences of sin that are not easy to recover from. But that's what sin does. The slavery to sin brings a broken life. But I want you to notice what 
slavery to God brings. Oh, verse 23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life. When we think of eternal life, we need to think of quantity of life, but also quality of life. Quantity of life, we're going to live forever in heaven. Quality of life, we're going to live in heaven forever in the presence of God, with God. What a gift. It's free. It costs us nothing. We can't pay for it. We don't deserve it. If we got what we deserve, we would be in hell right now. See, all we can do is just reach out by faith and receive it. That's it. It's a free gift. A free gift. God's gift. Jesus. Dr. Lewis Berry Chafer. And some of you probably heard this story. He was the first and founding president of Dallas Seminary where I had the privilege of studying. He tells a story, and this story took place in the early 20s, of walking into a railroad station one cold winter night. He was getting on a train to go to a Bible conference. And there was an old railroad man sitting at his desk reading the Bible under the lamp, under the light of a gas lamp. And Dr. Chafer, he walked up to him and he asked the man if he was saved. And the man replied, Oh, God could never save an old sinner like me. Dr. Chafer said to the man, friend, if I could show you from your Bible that you're reading, that you're wrong, that God will save you, will you gladly receive it? He said, I will with all my heart. And then Dr. Chafer, he opened the man's Bible to Romans 6, 23, this very verse, and he read it to him. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And see, Dr. Chafer, he showed him that salvation is a gift freely given to us by God, that, that we don't deserve it and that we can't earn it, but if we will only place our faith in Christ and trust Him as our Savior, God would save us. And Dr. Chafer said that he left that man that cold winter night rejoicing in his salvation. Cold outside, but now a warm heart. Let me ask you, my friend, have you received God's gift of salvation? Have you done it? Either you have or you haven't. If you haven't, what are you waiting for? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. There might not be a tomorrow. None of us might be here tomorrow. Jesus might come for his church tomorrow. Would you go up to meet him in the air? Have you received this free gift of salvation? That we don't have to pay for. We don't deserve. We just reach out and say, oh God, I'm a sinner. I know it. Save me by your grace. Let's pray together.
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you tell us so clearly that uh, sin is a problem. And it's a real problem in the Christian life. And thank you, Lord, that you have set us free, those of us who are in Christ. We don't have to obey that old taskmaster. We won't have to do it. Not even now and then. Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to, Lord, to rely upon your power to say no to sin and yes to you. And thank you, dear Lord, that you've made a way for sinners to be saved, like that old railroadman. You've made a way by sending your son, Jesus, who went to the cross, who died in payment for our sin, who rose again from the dead, that we might be saved. Oh, my friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, cry out to him. Ask him to save you. He will never turn us away. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.